0: Mm-hmm. a few moments and pray, ask God's blessing on our time, and then we'll dig in to what we're looking at tonight during this time. So, Father, thank you for opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. We ask for your revelation, understanding, insight, pray that, God, we would be open to receive what you want to speak to us, uh, be able to uh, really answer the challenge that you give us tonight. I pray that this would be an honest time with you and before you, and we ask God that uh, this would be a time where uh, we're able to honestly look at you, look at ourselves, and allow you to uh, move us toward change and growth in our lives. So, God, tonight, thank you for being here. Thank you, God, for the work of your Holy Spirit in us. I pray that your word would be just powerful, creative, and that yeah, we would receive all that you have for us. We give you thanks tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yeah, we're going to do another... Uh, we're going to look at another uh, Christmas theme uh, teaching tonight. Uh, this is going to come to us from uh, the Gospels, Luke chapter 1. I've got a few verses that uh, we can look at, but we're going to consider... On Sunday, we looked at Joseph. Uh, Yeah, so that was the teaching on Sunday. We're going to look at Elizabeth tonight uh, as the person that we're going to consider during the Christmas story. So, uh, if you have your Bibles, there's Bibles located on the tables. Uh, If you need one, uh, please grab one. But I'm going to need a volunteer. I'm going to feed you the verses uh, as I need them. And uh, so there's going to be one, two, three sets of verses. Now the total number of verses uh, will probably be around, I don't know, 11 or so total. So keep that in mind and when I you know, give you the opportunity to read. So I need a volunteer starts off Luke chapter 1, and I need a volunteer to read verses 5, 6, and 7. Luke 1, 5, 6, and 7, first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, verses 5 and 6. And now, would you read verses 24 and 25? Yeah. All right. Thank you, and. Verses 39 through 45. Verse 45
1: So looking through those
0: verses, I just want to make a few comments on them. A fairly recognizable story there. And uh, you see two miracles taking place, uh, birth-type miracles, pregnancy-type miracles happening.
1: And Elizabeth,
0: who was older and had been barren, uh, that was at that time a real reproach on someone if they couldn't bear children. Now, we know in modern-day science, understanding of things um, it could be her husband's fault too right uh, when, yeah. yeah so when you know for example when uh, June and I didn't have children right away um, and we were trying to figure out why uh, the first person that was tested was me because it's easier uh, and it's cheaper all right so they eliminated me first because uh, it's just an easier, cheaper way to go about it. And if it had been me, then, you know, figure something out. But it didn't happen to be me. It could have been, but it wasn't. And so then we knew it was her. But then she got pregnant, so that was it. We didn't search any further. That was all there was to it. And, uh, and so uh, that's how it went. So we don't know, I mean, it, you know, but in their society and the way they looked at things, the woman is just considered barren if they're not having any children. That was the assumption. And so Elizabeth was considered barren, and that was a reproach on her, regardless whose fault it was, regardless why it was happening, you know, who the actual physical issue was with, or anything else. There's aren't really considerations that were made in that culture, in that time, in that society. Regardless of all those things, she's the one that bore the reproach, societally. And so she was bearing that reproach, and then God visited, an angel visited. Zechariah, when he was going about his priestly duties, said, your wife's going to conceive, she's going to bear a son, and this is one of the many, I believe, there there seems to be a number of uh, stories like this in the Bible where someone who couldn't bear children then could, after a miraculous intervention from God. Now, think of Abraham and Sarah. Okay, they're a great example of that. Or... You know, you think about uh, Hannah in the Old Testament, the, the mother of Samuel. Okay, she's another one that got intervened in their situation. And so there's a number of those throughout the Bible, and so this is one of the ones that happened with that. So, of course, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're going to be the, the parents. They were the parents of John the Baptist. And so Elizabeth was the cousin of Mary. And so that meant John the Baptist. And and Jesus were cousins also. That's how that works. Yeah. Yeah. So, because my mother was cousins with Jenna Lee Barry, and they were cousins. But then Jenna Lee's sons and me were cousins too, because they were cousins Rodney and Richard. So we were cousins, right? So that's how that works. Yeah. Lee could play the piano by ear. Yeah, she she heard anything on radio, she could just play around the piano. She never took a lesson. She just had that gift. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was that close to me, cousin. Didn't get it. Nope. Alright, so I want you to imagine with me. Now you got uh now you kinda of thought about this, Kim, I could tell when you were reading it, Elizabeth, uh, what what surprised you about her after she got pregnant? what surprised you something did because you stopped reading for a second and it looked like you thought about it 24 and 25 verses if you want to remind yourself did anything in those verses surprise anybody like you might have asked yourself why anyone Yeah, yeah, you actually had a look on your face, like, yeah, why? And the verse, the the words there means she hid her size. She hid her size. So, in other words, she was pregnant. You know, how people get pregnant? Yeah, yeah. And so she uh, was able to hide her size. It wasn't like she was hiding out in the house and not seeing anybody, but she would dress a certain way, kind of look a certain way, so that people didn't know that she was pregnant. And the idea behind that was that she waited beyond a certain point in her pregnancy, so there was no doubt, no doubt that she was actually pregnant and she was actually holding the baby. And then she revealed herself. Because you have to understand that it wasn't that uncommon to lose a baby uh, there are a lot of things going on there are a lot of uh, factors at play in their society and the environment they were in and that was just the way it was and so she was making sure plus at her age think about how old she, I mean she's an old lady right and so now she's pregnant and so there would be a natural fear I think that she's gonna lose a baby because she's so old and so she waited until a certain point within the pregnancy And it was beyond a shadow of a doubt. This is this. This is me. So she hit her size beyond that time. And and it is just kind of interestingly, it was regardless, and I want you to think about this, too. This was a miraculous move of God over her life. And it was regardless of her physical age, number one. But also, it happened regardless of the fact that her husband doubted. He didn't have faith for it. And so he was the one contacted by the angel, right? This is what's going to happen, but he didn't have any faith for it. That's why he couldn't talk. Right? And And so regardless of his lack of faith and her physical condition, God did this thing in her life. And we all like to have to be really careful not to limit what God does in our life based on anything in the physical because God can work around that. God can create something new. God can do whatever he wants to do. So the physical isn't really a hindrance or anything and then sometimes, though, we think, well, maybe I don't have enough faith. Well, Zechariah didn't have enough faith. That still didn't hinder what God was doing. It hindered him talking about it, but it didn't hinder what God was going to do. And so be careful when you cut God off in something that he says he's going to do or it's apparent that he's going to do. Be careful when you do that based on whatever limitations you place upon it. Because she could have placed a limitation. Well, my husband didn't really believe, so am I still going to get this? No, that got you know God was still doing what He was doing, and so there was no limitation to put on it. There was no hindering factor to to throw into that. There was no wrench like that that needed to be thrown into the equation to say, oh, well, maybe I won't get this because my husband didn't believe. No, it's okay. God can get you through this. Just like He got them through this, and so you know, believing God for miracles in. And I really believe this, too, at least as far as I'm concerned. You just know it's done, and then you just, that's it. That's how you live. You know, whenever I've had any kind of provision miracles, whenever I've had anything that God's done over a period of time, where I just keep experiencing the miracle, and think about, this is one of those miracles that you just keep experiencing. Because she's pregnant, but then she's growing for five months that before she even shows herself. So she's grown for nine months total. And so this is a progressing miracle that's taking place in her life. It's like every day she gets up and she sees this miracle taking place. You know, I've had, I haven't had a miracle like that, but I've had miracles where God provides stuff for me. And every day I'll get up and I will open up whatever he's providing for me and I'll stick a spoon into it, pull it out, put it into whatever I'm eating or drinking, And that's a progressive miracle that takes place every single day. And I love those because I'm reminded every day that this is God's provision. This is what God's doing miraculously in my life. But I don't go every day disconcerted. Oh, I hope there's something in there today. I just open it up and put a spoon in it. Right? You know, because there's going to be something in it. And so I stick the spoon in there, pull it out, throw it in whatever I'm drinking, and go ahead. That's it. And so that's that's how you know I believe God's taught me over the years that if we're going to live within a miracle like this, or we're going to see this miraculous taking place in our life like this, then we just, it is what it is. And we assume it is, and that's it, and we just go that way. So I don't think she got up every morning wondering if she was pregnant. I'm sure she probably knew. I don't think she was walking around during the day wondering if she was pregnant. I know she knew. And so it, it just it just occurs to me that we need to be a people that if we're going to live within the miraculous, and we're going to see the miraculous in our life, and we're going to see that kind of a progressive and a consistent miracle, and I mean literally living within the miraculous in our life, we have to assume when God says something, we have to look at when God reveals something, we have to accept when God says something that it is done and it's just going to continue to be done. And we live within that. And you can say, well, Andy, what happens when you stick that spoon in and expect to get something out and you pull it out and there's nothing on it? I I rejoice because I've just been doing that for the last hundred days when it was empty a hundred days ago. Am I really upset that I put it in on day 101 and nothing came out? No. I'm rejoicing on the whole other 100 days that something did come out. And I, I, was, I assumed it the same way every single day and something did come out. It doesn't mess my faith up or anything. Then on day 101, I stuck my spoon in there and nothing came out. Awesome. That was a great run. Okay, that's a miraculous run. And, and the day she gave birth was the day she gave birth. She was no longer pregnant. All right? Good run. Elizabeth, now you got a son, John. Wild man gonna live in the wilderness, but there he is. Good job. All right, because sometimes the miracle, that part of the miracle is just over. Maybe it'll be something else. Maybe there won't. But to to live in some kind of weird, negative expectation of what happens when this ends, uh, why? Why? You didn't start it. Why are you worried about it ending? You're not doing it. Why are you not worried about it? Just go expecting and see what God does. And He'll do it as long as He doesn't have that expectation every single day. And you'd be shocked how long that'll go for. Because you believe it? Because you trust trusting. You know, I, I see those kind of miracles like the woman with the oil. You know, they're, they're, her oil never ran out. And pancake mix never ran out, you know, or whatever it happened to be that she was trying to make. And and so God provided it the oil and he provided the food that got gone through a famine. Or you got the woman that had the oil and she just kept pouring oil, pouring oil, pouring oil enough that she was able to sell the oil and, and be able to provide for her family. Miraculous. We just keep going. Because one day that Aunt Shabama pancake mix ran out and so did the oil. All right made it through the family. That's all right. You had the miraculous going there for how long? Find peace. Find rest in that. That's more important than just trying to figure everything out. When's it going to end? Who cares? If it ended tomorrow, you still got a day of miracle. Awesome. If it ends 100 days from now, you got 100 days of miracle. Awesome. What are you worried about? See, I I don't even understand the idea behind trying to figure that kind of stuff out. It's miraculous by definition. Let it be miraculous. You know, I I like explaining certain things. I like building things. I like figuring things out. But the miraculous isn't one of them. God does what God does, and let's live in it. I think people really cut themselves off from the miraculous by overthinking stuff. And I really think that that's a... That, that's a really hard place to live if you really want to be and really have a finger on the pulse of what God is doing as his people. So imagine with me Elizabeth. I mean, she must have been full of joy. She must have been full of joy that she's pr- finally pregnant. And you think about it, she, and whatever happened those first five months where she was hiding her but I mean, there came a time where she was able to share with her friends or neighbors or family. That she was in the family way, right, finally. All those years of reproach, all those years where people would talk about her, look at her, they they'd say whatever they were going to say about her, I mean, they're finally over. Here she was in the family way, she, she's pregnant, and she's able to share all that, so there's a lot of joy in that. Also, she knew something about her son already, and that was that her son was chosen to prepare the people for the Messiah he's going to lay the groundwork and he was going to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. Now, this is something that the people of Israel looked forward to for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's what they were looking for. They're looking for the Messiah. They're waiting on the Messiah. And here it was her son that was going to be the one to prepare the way. And so there's a lot of joy in that. But then, but then, her cousin Mary shows up Right? And one-ups her. She one-ups her. Because she's got a miraculous birth story. You follow it? So she's got the miraculous birth story and, and Mary's son will be even greater than Elizabeth's son. So she saw her miraculous birth story and raised her a greater son. Yeah. Yeah. So so you've got the... you got Elizabeth, her story, the miraculous. But then you've got Mary showing up, her cousin, and she's got one better. Uh, with Jesus. And with what's going to happen there. And I want you to understand that the temptation for jealousy is ever-present. Ever-present with us. That no matter what good happens in our life, no matter what good is taking place in our life, there's always a temptation for jealousy, and and, and it's important that you understand it as ever-present, that it's not just, oh, it's going to come up for something I really like. It may not be something you really like, because a temptation isn't a rational thing. It's irrational, and so it doesn't really have to be something you like or you don't like or whatever it is. It's just a temptation toward jealousy that is ever-present in our lives. Now, Elizabeth, we know, didn't fall into that. She didn't fall into that temptation, even though it was ever-present, just like it's ever-present in our lives. You can see how she could fall into it, I mean, from our perspective. I mean, she's had a miraculous, but Mary's miracle's even bigger. She's got a great son coming, but Mary's son's even greater, all right? And so as good as hers is, Mary's is better, and so, or at least could be conceived or be perceived as better. And so that that temptation for jealousy would be there. Uh, we know as a matter of just practicality, though, like I said before, sometimes jealousy really isn't any kind of a rational understanding of anything. You know, we get jealous of people that, about things that don't even exist. We get jealous of people that that other people look at the situation objectively and they can't even see what we're talking about. They don't even know because it's irrational. It doesn't make any sense. But sin is like that and jealousy is like that and it's just one of those things that as we look at it, it again, you're not going to figure it out necessarily. Our really, Our only response to jealousy is not to fall into it, not to entertain it. Not to allow it to take root in our heart or take root in our life, but to really find this place in us that we learn to reject it right away and to leave it behind. There's really no reason for it now. Mary, excuse me, Elizabeth teaches us a few lessons here that I think might help us be able to reject jealousy in our own lives. Okay, so we start off. I'll give you a few of the lessons here. Number one, nothing good. Nothing good comes from us allowing bitterness or envy into our lives. Nothing. There's nothing good that comes out of entertaining and allowing bitterness or entertaining and allowing envy to come into our lives. There's nothing good that's going to come out of that. In other words, if you're just thinking, well, I'll just let a little bit of that come in, nothing good's going to come out of it. There's no positive outcome. In fact, you have you have assurance that if you allow envy or you allow any kind of bitterness into your life, even if you're the kind of person that you feel better when you're bitter about something, and there are people like that, that if they can feel bitter about something, they kind of feel better for some reason. And even if you're, you're that kind of a person, that's a lie that anything good's going to come out of it because it won't. You can be assured of that. And so allowing for or even making room for in your life of bitterness and envy in your life is going to lead to bad. And you just know that. Right from the start, there's nothing good going to come of it. There's bad going to come of it, and that's all there is to it. That's the way it is. And so having that as something that we can just just really solidly say and understand that, oh, I'm feeling some bitterness or I'm feeling some envy in my life, I don't want to make room for that, and I need to reject that in the name of Jesus, because it will never lead to anything good. You need to have that established in your mind, established in your heart, that this isn't neutral, this isn't going to lead to whatever, it may be okay, it may not. Nope, there's no doubt about it. It's going to be bad. And whenever we entertain that, whenever we allow for that in our lives, it's going to lead to something bad in our lives. And you can be assured of that. It's not neutral. In other words, it won't just pass away, but it finds, in many of us, bitterness especially, finds root in our lives. And then it begins not only to defile us, but to defile the people around us. Because that's what bitterness does. So Mary came to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And the Bible tells us that she stayed for three months. Three months during Elizabeth's pregnancy. I mean it just, it just kind of moved in. You know, right? They came out to she came out to visit and it just moved her right into the house. Right there. Now, understand, if Elizabeth wanted to hide, now think about this for a second, if Elizabeth was hiding her size because she just wanted to make sure, what was Mary doing, right? She was hiding her size because now you explain that. You don't. Nobody's going to believe that. Nobody. And I mean... Joseph was a, a, an upright man. He was somebody tender-hearted. He had all those great characteristics, but he didn't believe her either. And I'm sure he couldn't have found one friend of his that believed her. And so there she was, pregnant, and it was getting more, when you get pregnant, it's obviously you're going to get more and more pregnant. All right? As long as the pregnancy is progressing. And so she just went out to where old cousin Elizabeth lived, out in the middle of wherever she lived. But away from where Mary lived, and spent three months out there. All right. So Elizabeth, she was helping Elizabeth out, uh, I suppose, and Elizabeth was finishing up her pregnancy. So Mary was out there with her, and Elizabeth, however, and you can see that she's she was there. Luke one fifty six is the verse that says she stayed for three months. But Elizabeth chose a selfless response to Mary. That's what she chose. And you can see it in her words. You can see it as she greeted Mary. You can see it as she responded to Mary's greeting when Mary came to visit with her. And you can see that kind of a selfless response. And she was blessed because of it. Because she responded to Mary in a selfless fashion. Elizabeth was blessed. And so the first lesson for Elizabeth that we can learn is that nothing good, nothing good comes out of bitterness and envy in our life. Nothing. In fact, her graciousness, her selflessness, was blessed. And you think about how, I mean, you think about how she greeted Mary. I mean, Mary came and greeted her, and the baby that was in Elizabeth, what happened? You remember? It leapt in her womb. They had the greeting of Mary to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, the Bible tells us, was Filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you read that part, Kim? You did, right? You read that. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she began to exclaim. Now, was she prophesying? Maybe. I would assume so. She got filled with the Holy Spirit, began to prophesy, and she just began to bless Mary. She began to proclaim how blessed she was. She began to proclaim the fruit of her womb and all that rest of that stuff that she says in those verses. Well, Well, Elizabeth was blessed because of that. Because she responded in such a selfless manner. She didn't try to argue with Mary. It's like, well, you know, my son, he's going to be older, so he'll be greater. You know, she didn't say anything like that. You know, there was no weird arguments about it. There was nothing about who was going to be greater. and all. No, no. Jesus was going to be greater. And that was a fact. And, and I think Elizabeth understood that. She understood that the guy who was coming to prepare the way for the Messiah was not going to be greater than the Messiah. But the Messiah was going to be the greatest. There would be none greater. And yet John would have a key role in preparing the people to receive Jesus. So she understood the blessing that God had given her. She understood the miracle that she was living in. She understood the miraculous that was taking place in her right at that moment. And and, and it, has to, it had to speak volumes to her when Mary greeted her and that baby just leapt in her womb. I mean, she she must have attributed that to the fact of who he was and her own baby being able to recognize that. Yeah. Babies know stuff. Even when they're in the womb. I used to sit and talk. Both my kids, when they're in the womb, I'd sit and talk to them they know my voice when they were born I don't want them wondering who I, who's that guy no no they needed to hear my voice they need to know me alright gotta know me cause babies know things even in the world. and that, that's a true story I did I talked to both those kids way back I mean back way back they didn't talk back or anything but they heard me no, they did. And and so I think she took that, the response of John in her womb, I think she took that as a sign, like, yeah, this is our place. This is who we are. This is what God's doing in our lives. There's nothing to be bitter about and there's nothing to be envious about that. And she just knew that this is, this is us. This is who we are. Second thing that we can learn from Elizabeth is that celebration is the the and you can put whatever word you want after that the only but it is the best it could be the most magnificent it could be whatever you the only appropriate but it is the response to God at work whatever that means. And so celebration is the response to God at work. When we see God moving in somebody else's life, instead of wishing that was happening in our life, we need to rejoice with those people. Because that's the only response. is really rejoicing with who and what God is doing in a person. Okay, it's not me. All right, all right. You know, I've gotten to the point I'm old enough. I see God moving in people's lives. I also know what's on the other side of that, so it's easy for me to be like, "Awesome for you," because <laughs> I've lived through times where, you know, God's moved in my life, and and it it looks like a huge blessing from the outside, and then sometimes it brings with it responsibility that is hard to bear. Just saying. Not that I've ever regretted it, not that I've ever looked at it and said, I don't want this blessing anymore or anything else like that. When God moves in my life, I want him to move in my life. But I also know and there's a balance to that, that there's another side to it. And, and so understanding that, you think about even in this situation, you got Elizabeth with John the Baptist, but you got Mary with Jesus. And you think about all that both of these women went through because of their sons. I mean, seriously. I mean, John the Baptist, he went out into the wilderness. He came back. He, I mean, everybody in Jerusalem was going out to hear him preach. They were being baptized by him. He was super popular. And then, then, he got arrested, right? Got put in jail, and then was beheaded. Now, you think about a mom living through that. Okay, terrible. Got Jesus, who he's out, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's doing everything that he's doing. He's super popular until then he's arrested, sentenced, tried, sentenced to death, and then crucified on a cross. Yeah. Imagine being a mom standing there watching that. So there's two sides to the story. And understanding that is to understand that when God is moving in a person's life, let's rejoice with him. right? Let's just do that. But let's not be envious and, and I hope you can understand what I'm saying. I want God to move through me and, and I, I will rejoice every time he does but if I see God moving through you I'll rejoice in you too that we can't just look at something and wishing oh I wish he was doing that for me. what good does that do? What is God doing in your life? why don't you rejoice in that you gotta you gotta just compare yourself you think about comparison. And we live in an age of comparison. And I think it's driven somewhat by social media. Is that, that they, who do who you see on social media? You see all the ugly fat people on social media? Or do you see, you know, like the popular nice people? Yeah, right? And, and so there's a woman on, uh, she's a fitness influencer on social media. And uh, she just makes fun of female fitness influencers. That's kind of her whole thing. Uh, she she came to be a fitness influencer later in life, and she they, they show pictures of her, and she was overweight, she was heavy, she had all kinds of physical problems, and she ended up through diet and exercise, seeing her life turned around, and but she still has stretch marks, and she you know she still has like some of the issues that she had from being who she was and who she is. And so uh, she'll make before and after shots of herself uh, using whatever filters they use on social media. I don't even understand it all, but she'll show herself at a certain angle or she'll show her, you know, like, like they do. And she'll say, oh, don't I look great? And then they'll show, she'll show another picture where she's at a different angle or she's just kind of slouching in the picture. And it's like you can see her belly roll, you know, but you couldn't see it before, just all flat tummy and everything. And you can see her belly roll and stuff, she's like, yeah, that's me too. Yeah. And she makes sure that she's just letting people know that what you see there isn't necessarily reality. And that's why she does what she does. Because she sees a lot of people ruining their lives over some false reality I mean it's just not even true and she just wants people to know that especially females she just wants them to know that and so I I, I follow her because it cracks me up every time I see it. it just makes me laugh and, and so uh, yeah I don't know I gotta follow a guy who is a professional uh, actor he's a background actor that I met when I was doing the filming thing here and he's got a picture of himself on his Instagram where he's painted gold. (laughs) But he has abs painted in, you know, because they were filming and stuff, so he's got these really nice abs and stuff, but I know, I mean, I met him. He doesn't have abs like that, but uh, it looks great gold. I mean, you know, it really does. I whatever. But we have to be careful, especially in the day and age we live in, not to be a people who are always looking and wishing something for ourselves that isn't really ours to have. It's okay. And and in the case of social media, wishing something for ourselves is not even real. That's just a waste of time. So we need to celebrate and see celebration as the response. God's moving in your life and celebrate with you. God's moving in that person's life we i going to celebrate with them. That's awesome. But really training ourselves to instead of looking at, oh, I wish I could do that. Stop. Just looking at celebrating with them. as too what God is doing. Third thing. Another lesson from Elizabeth. There's a greater joy in choosing to praise God for what He's doing in others. Instead of dwelling on what He's not doing through you. Follow what I just said. There's a greater joy in choosing to praise God for what He's doing in others instead of dwelling on what He's not doing through you. And I hope in some ways that's really self-evident. And maybe it's not for you. You know, Some of you were raised to just be... That's just how you were. And maybe... Uh, that was hammered home by a parent or or whoever in your life. Well, look at Robbie over there. He's doing this, this, and this. You're not doing anything. That's terrible. I'm just telling you that's horrible. Okay? Oh, look at the Kleins' kids. They're all getting straight A's. What are you doing? That's just horrible. And what it does is it teaches kids to dwell on what they can't do. I mean, that's what it teaches them. Instead of celebrating with the Klein's kids that they got straight A's, or instead of celebrating with Robbie because of whatever thing he's doing awesomely, well, instead of doing that, we just dwell on what we can't do. And there's nothing that really comes out of that that's going to help you. Then you go back to one and two that we just looked at with Elizabeth. I mean, think about where bitterness comes from. Think about where envy comes from. You think about all those things and they come out of these, these moments in our life. But if we weren't taught as children to find a certain satisfaction and security in and of ourselves, say, you're all right. And let, let kids know that. They're going to constantly dwell on what they can't do. And that's a real problem. because there's kids out there with some really good gifts (coughs) that they'll never explore because they're too worried about what they can't do. (coughs) They're too worried about what they're lacking to see what they have. (laughs) <laughs> and that's a real problem because they may have something that maybe not a lot of other people do have they may have a gift they may have a calling they may have something else that they can do that other people really can't do but if that's never brought out that's never spoken over them and all they're worried about is what they don't have and what they can't do they're not going to reach into that and never see that happen and so we're those kids that somehow we have to crawl out of this idea of dwelling on what we don't have to really begin to emphasize and begin to look at what we do have. You know, part of my job as a discipler is to bring people into a realization of what they do have instead of what they don't have. And begin to turn people's eyes upward from what's missing to what's ever-present. And and so Elizabeth, you know, instead of responding to Mary about, well, I don't have the Messiah in me, and I don't this or that, whatever. She just rejoiced with Mary. Because Mary just was being blessed by God. Why did Elizabeth have John the Baptist, a miracle of her own? What's there to be jealous of? What's there to be envious of? If you can realize it. There's, there's people here that, you know, I, I look at the talented people that can do things other people can't do. You have visual gifts that other people don't have. You see things that other people can't see. You may hear things that other people can't hear. You may be able to think through things other people can't think through. You may be able to look at a problem and be able to solve it immediately when other people look at the same problem and it's just a mystery and able else solve it. You may be able to do things physically that other people can. I don't know, okay? All I'm saying is is that we have these areas in our life that we need to really look at and major on and, and and find a peace and find a rest in those things so that when somebody, we come across somebody that, say, is gifted in a different way than we are, that we can rejoice with them and cheer them on and be there for them and say, yeah, that's and find that place in our heart and our lives, that joy that comes from praising God with somebody for what God's doing through them instead of dwelling on and worrying about what He's not doing through me. That makes sense to everybody? Okay. Fourth thing you can see through Elizabeth is that when we make a choice to celebrate others... Like in other words we we meet somebody and we want to celebrate them we want to celebrate who they are, celebrate what God's doing in their life when we make that choice to do that, it encourages encourages those that are around us it's an encouragement. that because I think that all too often we don't encourage one another enough. Uh, I'm not a real uh, vocal encourager all the time. I mean, I try. But I'm woefully short on that. And and part of that comes from where I come from. And uh, we all come from somewhere. And I recognize that, and I can choose not to look like that. And I, I do. I make choices to be more encouraging. I make choices to see what's going on in people's lives and celebrate those things and, and I believe what Elizabeth teaches us is that that in turn encourages others that are watching they see it and they begin to experience things like that in action and it begins to train people to do the same be able to celebrate one another. Be able to celebrate what God's doing in people's lives. And if you hear somebody celebrating what God's doing in your life enough, let's say you're the one celebrating somebody else, but then it comes your turn and people start celebrating you and they start celebrating what God's doing in your life, maybe that's going to train you not to worry about what you don't have and to really you begin to celebrate what you do have. Because I really believe that as we begin to practice certain things, it translates back to us. It's like, I'm training myself to see what God's doing in other people's lives, and I can celebrate what He's doing in other people's lives. I mean, even, in turn, eventually, that's going to turn to us. And we can look at ourselves and celebrate what God's doing in our lives, too. It trains us to see it. It trains us to recognize it when it's happening. It trains us to understand it and and to not worry about the other stuff that's going on, but to celebrate that thing. And I believe it encourages all of us to do that. The encouragement is never wasted words. There are a lot of things in life that are wasted words. There are a lot. A lot of things in life just talk, 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 wasted words, but encouragement's not like that. Encouragement brings something and bears something, and and there's fruit that comes forth out of that in our lives and lives of other people. Luke 143 is in our story here, and there's an example of what I'm talking about. Somebody read that, Luke 143. Now, you think about Mary. I mean, what's Mary coming from? Well, she's kind of hiding out, right? Probably. Uh, she's got a story that no one's going to believe. Nobody. How do we know that? Because she shows up. You know? Nobody believes her. And all she's got is her experience with the angel. Which is a significant experience, but... I don't know about you, but as as real life descends on our lives, let's say you have this really big spiritual experience. Some of you have had really, really cool spiritual experiences. Well, what happens is real life begins to intersect with you after that really neat spiritual experience. What happens? What fades and what is magnified? Yeah. Right. So the miraculous begins to fade And then you've got the everyday life stuff that's being magnified and amplified in your life. So she's got this word from an angel saying this is the truth of the matter. But then she's got all of society looking at her and calling her an adulteress. And she knew that she could be, if, if Joseph had decided such, she'd be stoned to death. Okay, So that's being amplified, that's being magnified in her life. She's got this miraculous experience with the angel, but that was just between her and the angel, right? There was the two of them. The rest of this stuff's taking, taking place in, in just abject, stark public, is what's happening here. And so you've got all of that happening around her. She ends up out at her cousin Elizabeth's house, uh, whatever she's doing out there, and Elizabeth, look at how she speaks to her. Look at how she speaks to her. You know, you read that verse and you see her speaking to her in such a way as like, you know, this is the mother of my Lord. You know, who am I that you would come and you would see me? Alright, so she is prophesying and bringing word to what the angel had told her. And all of a sudden in the midst of all of these physical things going on and all that's happening in the world and everything that's happening around her, all of a sudden, she's brought back to that conversation with the angel, the miraculous. to that word of prophecy and reminded, this is the big picture and this is what really matters. And was encouraged through that, I'm sure. I'm sure that was super encouraging for her. To be reminded of what the angel said. And it coming from somebody else. It wasn't just her this time. It was her cousin Elizabeth who she, I'm sure she trusted, and I'm also sure that she respected her. And so she's encouraging her, speaking this word of prophecy to her, and I I know that must have really lifted her up. In the midst of everything else that she's facing, in the midst of all the other things that could possibly go wrong, in the midst of everything else that was going on around her, I bet that was a, a moment of change for her, at a moment when it, that encouragement she needs it the most, but that's what I'm talking about. All of us, most of us in here, I think all of us in here have have been used in the prophetic gifting. And so when I say encouraging, you know, I don't always necessarily mean you know just kind of punch them in the shoulder and say keep going, tiger. I'm not necessarily just saying that's what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about though is allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through you into people's lives and and to really speak to gifts and callings and be able to encourage people that way. But there's certain times that God has spoken to somebody and it was just between them and God. And you know what? You get that old, uh, old temptation of the devil from the Garden of Eden. Did God really say after a while? That's what happens. Even if you have... Even if you have a recording of the prophecy on a thumb drive, okay? And you can play it, or or it got emailed to you, and you can play it over again. Or in my case, it's still on a cassette tape somewhere, all right? If I had a cassette player, I could play it, but I don't, so I don't know. I look at it every now and then, and it kind of reminds me of what it said. But but even if we have those things, and we can listen to it again, There's something when somebody else speaks that same word to us or encourages us in that word. It's that other witness. It's that second witness or that third witness that brings it about. Powerful. And so we want to be that. We want to have an expectation in our lives. We're going to be that witness. We're going to be that second witness, that third witness to whatever it was that they were, whatever was going on in their life. We're going to be that witness to them. And to allow the Holy Spirit to use us like that. I mean, really. Say, all right, yeah, that'd be me. I'll do that. But it comes from a heart that really, really wants to rejoice with that person in what God's doing in their life and what God has done and what He's planning to do in the future. And not worry about what's not happening in me. Not worry about why He's not doing that in my life. Not worry about why I'm not that or anything else like that but a real heart to rejoice with them and let God use you in the gifts that He's given you to encourage them. But it has to come from the right place in you. My I traveled from church to church, had significant ministry in calling people out in their gifts and calling. when i pray over people after service. Mm-hmm. And there'd be days that I'd be praying over people for an hour and a half, two hours after a service if the church was big enough. And it was almost exclusively calling people out into their gifts, into their callings, and encouraging them in what God and who God says they are. Almost. Not the whole thing, but a lot of times that's what it was. Because we need that. I was doing that one time, and I've shared this story before, but this might give you a little more insight into it. I was doing that down on Long Island one time. Big church some miraculous things I'm, I'm just at the end of just prophesying praying over people calling them encouraging them in their gifts and calling it took so long the leadership of the church just locked the doors and shut the doors behind them as they left and so all that was left in that church was me in June and a bunch of people that were sitting at the altar just receiving and getting encouraged by God that was it And I'll tell you, those people, they waited until the very end. We were all done praying, all done prophesying, and they all took us out to lunch. Regardless of the church leadership, regardless of what they were going to do, not do, or whatever else, because they weren't going to do anything. Those people that were ministered to are the ones that took us out to eat. I got a big complaint filed against me with the district office for that, immaturity, not being conscious of time not worrying about you know the needs of whatever whatever. I, whatever but we had a good lunch at a diner <laughs> and it was good but they were thankful because they were encouraged and it just made me think it's like well, what makes somebody just hang around like that well that kind of stuff does what, what makes somebody want to spend money out of their own pocket to feed you well that kind of stuff does what well, makes somebody want to make sure that you're taken care of and express their thanks to you? That kind of stuff does. And so that that's what I'm talking about. And that, that's really what, what I believe God has for us. And so I want to encourage you, take a look at Elizabeth. I mean, this I, to me, this, she's, she's a powerful character in the Christmas story. And, and in bringing Mary to that place where she was going to go back to Bethlehem all right? Where you got Joseph, and you got all the family, and you got all the friends, and you got all the people telling Joseph, you need to leave her because she's been messing around with somebody else, and she was going to have to stand up to that and live her life. And so was Joseph. And they did. But she needs some encouragement for that. And Elizabeth had the right heart, had the right attitude, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and fulfilled that role in her life. Yeah. So to me, that's a powerful moment. And we think of her, oh, she was the mom of John the Baptist, right, but she was also somebody that was key, because she had the right heart, she had the right attitude, she was also key in the life of Mary, when you needed her the most. And so, I give you that. Just kind of keep that in mind. I'm to ask you to pray with me. I want you to uh, just really consider where you're at. We all come from somewhere, right? Yeah. You know, we all got stuff in us that we carried along with us that we probably don't need. But it's good to be aware of and it's good to jettison when we can best way to jettison something is to begin to live differently to practice differently in our lives so heavenly father i thank you that um yeah you, you've shown us that much love and grace and mercy and you put us into relationship with one another, into a body of believers that literally spans around the globe. And so I thank you that we have this opportunity to practice what Elizabeth is showing us. And I thank you, God, that we have this opportunity to be encouragers in one another's lives. I thank you that we have this opportunity to to speak to the the people that we are and to encourage one another in that and to emphasize the things that need to be emphasized and encourage the things that need to be encouraged and to leave behind the things that don't matter but I pray if we are brought up in such a way that we're always dwelling on what we don't have I pray that you begin to change our hearts and begin to change our vision in the hours ahead. God, I pray that the story of Elizabeth and Mary would be a reminder that we don't have to live that way. And that's just not the way that you have for us to live. But I pray, God, that we would be encouragers of one another. That you would use us, God, to, to really build one another up, encourage one another. I just ask you, God, that We leave behind childish ways and take upon ourselves your ways. So God, thank you tonight for your love for us. Thank you tonight for the unique things that you call us to and that you gift us with. I thank you that every one of us here in this place. There's things about us that no one else in this place, none of us have, except for you. Things about me that no one else has, It's just mine. And I pray, God, that you teach us to rejoice in those kind of things in our lives and in the lives of one another. Give you thanks tonight. I ask, God, that you would encourage each of us. I pray, God, we would be encouraged toward change. We'd be encouraged towards building one another up. We'd be encouraged toward more and more life together give you thanks and praise tonight yes he sings in jesus name amen all right thanks for coming everybody tonight good to see you and uh look forward to seeing you again soon ucf of syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action economics education employment background and culture span the spectrum as you gather for the purpose of life in christ you know me and christ are homies That's good. He's really cool, you Uh know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin, should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of the faith community, like the comunidad. Well, there's a lot of people. Yeah. Started in 1997.